Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. to be here with Dave Ferguson today. Thanks for joining me. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking about kinship and your role with kinship as the church relations director. How long have you been uh, working with kinship in that role? I've been in that role uh, for 20 years now. Wow, congratulations. Thanks. So why don't you uh, start off by talking a little bit about kinship, kind of define its relationship to the Adventist church and what its mission is. Uh, Kinship began over 40 years ago. And uh, one of the first uh, events that Kinship had was a Kinship camp meeting. And at that camp meeting, uh, there were several people from the General Conference who were invited to come to that camp meeting. And in the end, it was determined that those people could only come. Most of them were uh, professors at Andrews University that they could only come if Colin Cook was also invited. Colin had a ministry that I actually attended um, to try and change people's orientation. Sure. And um, so it was agreed eventually that uh, he would be allowed to come as, uh, as long as these other people were allowed to come with him. Okay. And so it's been a long time since then. Those change ministries have mostly been discredited. Right. And kinship continues on. What makes kinship work? I think it's the fact that there is an Adventist connection with it. Um, People growing up in the Adventist church, the Adventist church is a culture. Yeah. And therefore, you know, when they feel rejected within the church that they may be attending, they're still looking for something that connect, keeps them connected to Adventism. And so that's been a very important part of it. We've seen through the years that there have been a number of people who have come into kinship and once they kind of find their own footing and are able to move on and feel comfortable, that they don't always stay with kinship. There are also people who have been with kinship practically from when it started until the present time. Um, So we've been fortunate to have a lot of people who have been wonderful mentors for people, but also we've seen a lot of transition. Um, And kinship over the years has gradually expanded um, to where we're in over 180 countries around the world at this point. Um, So there are a lot of kinship members um, that feel connected to the church still uh, through kinship. Can you talk a little bit about um, the the mission of kinship, what it sees its role, how it sees its role? Uh, Kinship's mission has started off being a support group for Adventists who were LGBTIQ. Um, Over the years, that has gradually expanded, um, beginning with some of the work that I started in 1999, um, to have people who were supportive of the work of kinship to help with some advocacy work for kinship. You know, uh, I have to be honest because in um, kind of my experience uh, with kinship, it just seems like a no-brainer. To me, um, you know, I kind of 
grew into caring about justice in the world connected to the push for marriage equality, which was sort of made sense to me. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in the early days of the Spectrum blog uh, arguing with folks, putting out really great uh, um, um, posts and um, inviting other folks to this conversation, a conversation that Kinship and lots of other Adventists had been having for decades. And I feel like there was a really um, uh, big generational shift. But at the same time, there are millions of Adventists who cannot believe that we're having this conversation today. Right. How do you uh, kind of um, see that in this kind of wide expanse where you've been a part of kinship for 20 years as a leader and you've seen generations shift in their focus and also not? (laughs) Right. And it's interesting to me to notice that um, some of the people who... I would think would have the most resistance uh, being people who are grandparents of, of that age. Sure. Um, that they would be very resistant. And yet many of those people have grandchildren who are LGBTIQ and therefore they tend to be very supportive. Huh. Uh, it's that middle group that tends to have some uh, negativity toward it. Sure. Uh, for people who are in the millennial generation and younger, for most of them, it's just a, why are we even talking about this? It's, it's not an issue for them. Yeah. Um, and so that's true both in society at large and it's true within the church. Yeah. And it's meant that there have been um, so many people. One of the things I discovered very early on, I think two things I discovered. One was that um, because there were uh, Adventist young people and their parents who were feeling that the church was no longer safe for them, that they left. And so it meant that there was a huge exodus um, of both young people and their parents because of this issue. The second thing that happened that I noticed very early on was that because the church had been so successful in teaching people that the way the church related to them was the way God related to them, they eventually became agnostic because why would you want to believe in a God that treats you the way they'd been treated at church? Yeah. You know, that leads me to bringing back the topic of kinship camp meeting because I feel like that's really the kind of pinnacle um, of the the kinship calendar, correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's right. But it's also uh, very Adventist. It's incredibly Adventist, in fact. Except we use a K for camp meeting. That's right. (laughs) Since it goes along with kinship. (laughs) Um, And, you know, there's quite a few folks who attend that who um, find it to be an incredibly spiritual experience, an incredibly eye-opening experience as well. Can you talk a little bit about what kinship camp meeting is like? Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, Because kinship through the years has been a place where, um, well, it started with my predecessor, Ron Lawson, who started working to have people who were involved with the church come and be speakers at kinship camp meeting just so that they'd become acquainted with kinship members. And so through the years, we've continually had people who were um, involved with the denomination who came as speakers. And, you know, 
inevitably, when I get to the end of the camp meeting and talk to them, they say, uh, this was just what I thought the church was supposed to be like, and it doesn't seem to be that way anymore. This is the fellowship of people who can believe very differently on different topics and yet come together and find mutuality and work together, you know, as God's children. You know, um, perhaps I shouldn't confess this, but one thing that I found is that there are some very conservative kinship members theologically. I don't think people would realize how conservative um, they are. And um, I am always um, sort of almost um, bemused by the fact that um, I think so many folks who want to attack kinship really misunderstand how dedicated um, the members and the leadership are to the kind of Adventist message. Uh, that's correct. Um, kinship has a huge spectrum mm-hmm. of members, um, from very conservative um, to some who are much more progressive. And those who are conservative, um, you know, are very strong on all of the, uh, as much as some of the general conference leaders sure. uh, on Ellen White. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them believe in celibacy. Um, and kinship has worked to try and be a place that is accepting of everyone. And I think that's one of the beauties of kinship is that it is a place where everyone is made to feel welcome. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's um, talk a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, just reflecting back on your 20 years of service to the organization. How did you first get into your position as the church relations director? I'm going to step back one step beyond that, if you don't mind. Um, And that is um, how I eventually connected with Ken. Yeah, please. Um, Because I had been a pastor for a number of years. And when I finally came to the place where I said, okay, it's, I'm not changing. I've tried for all of the time that I was pastoring uh, to change. I'd gone through um, the change ministry that Colin Cook offered. I had tried uh, all kinds of things and even going to a Baptist pastor for an exorcism wow. to try and um, you know, make myself something different um, and discovered that it really didn't happen. And then I had been at a um, retreat that my church had offered, um, and it was a, and Madeline Haldeman was the speaker. Oh. And I heard that she was going to be speaking at kinship camp meeting, and she was going to talk about some of the what we call the clobber texts that oh, uh, hit yeah. people over the head um, th- about the seven times in the Bible, uh, you know, where it mentions homosexuality um, versus the thousands of verses that talk about love. And I thought, well, I really need to hear what Madeline has to say about this. And so it was that camp meeting that helped me to really recognize that I wanted to connect with an organization that wanted to do this. So it still took me a little time just to kind of make that transition. And I eventually became involved with kinship here in Southern California. And three years later, they invited me to be uh, the director of church relations. Um, So that was kind of the transition that happened with me moving into kinship and into leadership. You know, I... um have 
seen you interacting with church leaders, and I've always thought you do such a good job given your pastoral training and your kind of spirit of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So I want to give you that uh, kudos. Thank you. Um, so what sort of things have you been um, sort of um, proudest of in the 20 years that you've been working with Kinship? Um, when I started, um, one of the first things I realized when I attended the general conference in uh, 2000 was that there was a real need to have people who uh, were a part of the denominational employment uh, structure mm-hmm. who could be involved in helping to give me insights on what we needed to do and how we could make that happen. And so at that general conference, I began talking to people uh, about being part of a group like uh, that I eventually called the Advisory Council. And um, I was grateful that because of my background as a pastor, I still knew a lot of people who were uh, involved with the denomination and I could reach out to them. So I reached uh, and reaching out to them, I found that um, there were a number of them that were willing to participate And yet at the same time, because of the denominational policies, they were scared to be part of a group like this. And so they said, well, I'll be part of it as long as nobody knows that I'm part of it. (laughs) Um, And so when we first started the first several years, um, I couldn't even let the kinship board know who the members of the advisory council were. Um, We weren't able to publish that. Um, But eventually it came to the point in 2005 that we did a conference on homosexuality in Ontario. Um, And even up until the night that that began, we were afraid that the same thing would happen to that um, conference that had happened to one on abortion several years earlier, that there would be word that would come out from the general conference telling people that they should not attend. Mm. But we got to that weekend and nothing like that came out. And we said, wow, this train has left the station. <laughs> so um, we had presentations by a number of key people. And a number of the people who made the presentations were members of our advisory council. Um, as a result of that, um, Fritz Guy and David Larson and I started meeting to put together the material that had been presented at that conference so that it could be uh, put into book form. And over the next two and a half years, uh, we worked to present, prepare a book called Christianity and Homosexuality, Some Seventh-day Adventist Perspectives. Um, in 2008, um, we had a national press conference in Washington, D.C. that was sponsored uh, by the Human Rights Campaign. And uh, we introduced the book to the world. And uh, as a result of that, there have been people from a number of denominations who have contacted us because of the work that was done for that book. So that was that was one of the first times that we really saw people who were really, it was a coming out experience for many of these denominational employees on their own to come out and being supportive of kinship. Congratulations on that. And if folks want to get this legendary book, is it still available? It is available. Um, they can either contact uh, Kinship or it's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Great. So let's um, move from the th- that history to a little bit of the present. Um, I know that um, 
one of the things that's happened on a lot of Adventist campuses is that you've had gay straight alliance groups crop up. And um, can you talk a little bit about how kinship works with the next generation? Yeah, it's it's been an interesting experience working through the, uh, that group because uh, we did get uh, an organization started to try and help pull those organizations together because what had happened over a number of years was that there'd be a student who was LGBTIQ that uh, had been involved with something on the campus and had provided leadership on the campus. And then when they graduated, it just kind of died away. And so had to wait until another person came along that was willing to do that. And so that happened on a number of campuses and we realized that there needed to be more consistency. So we worked to start a group that would help to make that possible. Um, And over the next about four or five years, that worked pretty well. But in the last year or so, we found that the students who were in leadership positions within that uh, overall group have not been as good at keeping consistency happening. So we're kind of back to the point that we were several years ago where the organiza- where the students are working on their own. Okay. But um, there have also been some changes in that there have been faculty members who've been ready to step up and be more involved. And so at this point, what I'm doing is that I'm working with the faculty members because I know they're gonna be there. Uh The students are gonna come and go. But I'm working with the faculty members who've been working with these groups to help provide the consistency of something happening. The other thing that's been really interesting is that over the last uh, several years, um, the groups that have been on the campuses have become active enough that the lead, the administration of the campuses recognized that they needed to have official status. And so we now have several of the groups that uh, actually have official status on their campus. Congratulations. How has that worked uh, with the students sort of advocating for official status like many other um, organizations, kind of campus organizations? And of course, there's always this fear that it, the administration has that this will put them into hot water with boards or with the general conference. Yeah, it's been interesting to me that the first two that really made this step toward doing uh, something official were Andrews and Loma Linda, and so they're general conference institutions. <laughs> and uh, yet they were the ones that really stepped up to make this happen first. Um, and that hap- that was partly because of the wonderful leadership that was happening with the kids on the campus and the faculty who were involved with uh, these organizations. Um, So several of these campuses now have two groups that are meeting. One is a group that is more like the GSA groups, Gay Straight Alliance groups, where it is both gay students and straight students who are meeting together to try and do things. And some of the groups, uh, some of the campuses also have a group that is mostly just uh, for members of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Um, So it provides um, actually Many, several of the campuses now have two organizations that are meeting on a regular basis, and that means that they're meeting, you know, a couple of times a month to provide support for the students. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the future now. Um, we have the general conference session coming up, and uh, how many general conference sessions have you attended? Um, well, I attended one while I was pastoring. Okay. Um, and then I started attending uh, in 2000, uh, uh, representing Kinship, and I've been to each of them since okay. then. 
um, so that I could, uh, you know, kind of have opportunity to meet with various leaders um, and have conversations uh, at the general conference session, because that's the one time I know I can get them all in one place. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether to congratulate you or offer <laughs> you condolences for <laughs> all those sessions. Um, I, you- I've had wonderful opportunities. I've really appreciated it, and especially um, the opportunities I've had to meet with a lot of the university and college presidents at the general conference session and to have some great conversations. Yeah. I've, I've seen you there. I remember... Uh, you uh, working your way through the hallways. Um, can you um, talk a little bit about um, sort of kinship's presence there? And also if there's folks uh, listening to this podcast um, who are going to be there, if there's a way that they can kind of reach out to you or, or uh, connect with you in some way. Oh, I'd love to have people get in touch with me. I'm planning to be at both the um, Ministerial Institute uh, in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and at the General Conference in Indianapolis to meet with people. Um, and uh, yeah, we um, in 2000 we were able to have a booth. Um, since that time, um, kinship has been barred from having uh, a booth to have a presence. I didn't realize you had a booth at one point. Yeah. Wow. And then it was revoked. Yeah. And instead of that, they've been inviting a group who is uh, supporting people who don't want to change. Um, and uh, so they've had a booth the last two general conferences. We have been we have worked with Spectrum mm-hmm. and Adventist today uh, to be able to participate with them in their booths sure. uh, in some of the general conference sessions in the past. Great. Well, I'm sure um, we look forward to working with you again this coming session. What sort of um, so you meet with folks? Um, what is it like to to be a kinship member? Um, to be an out Adventist and to wander around in kind of the the thick of of Adventism at these sessions. Um, I think that a lot of people would probably find it um, to be. Uh, difficult to to do that but because i've had so much contact with the church and i've remained actively involved with my own congregation with a congregation through all these years um it 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 isn't awkward for me because i it's like a family reunion just like a lot of other people find when they go to general conference i get to meet a lot of people that i've known through the years and um, sometimes i have uh, great conversations with people that uh, I may not have come out to before. Um, and there are also times when I come meet somebody and they're still very antagonistic to the fact that I'm gay and that I'm there. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned your um, participation in a, in a congregation, and I, I think that takes so much hope. So I'd love to kind of end our conversation with you just talking about why you stick it out, um, both at a at a large kind of support and activist role, if I can use those words, but also as a member of a community, um, a local community. And and what do you do? How do you participate in the life of your local congregation? Well, I've been very fortunate to be a member of a congregation that is uh, open and accepting. Um, And it became that way 
um, because of the AIDS crisis, because the church started doing things to reach out to people who had AIDS um, in the 80s and 90s. Um, and as a result of that, um, the congregation was ready to be more open. And part of that happened because of a, a story that happened with uh, one of the members of the congregation who was uh, who had AIDS and was attending a Bible study group. And the ladies in the Bible study group, when he ended up becoming more sick, uh, visited him regularly in the hospital. Mm. And the pastoral staff recognized that there were many pastors of other denominations who were not even willing to have funerals for people with AIDS. And so they stepped up and started having funerals. Um, and I found out from one of the pastors that um, the Bible instructor was having Bible studies and bringing people to the pastor to be baptized. And she had no idea that there were a number of the people that she was having Bible studies with that were gay. Um, but that increased the number of people who were attending the church as because of all of that. But when I arrived at that church, I um, had only been there a couple of months and one of the members of the pastoral staff came up and asked me to be the head deacon. And I said, no, I can't do that. That's against church policy. And he said, well, you really need to go talk to the senior pastor. And so I did. And the senior pastor said to me, um, well, our church recognizes that we have a number of people who are part of the LGBT community and we want them to feel welcome here. Wow, that's great. And so our church board has taken a vote that if any of them have any problems from a legal standpoint because of taking a position in leadership, that we will take care of all their legal fees. And I go, whoa, <laughs> this is a church unlike any church I've ever been part of. And so I did that. And a couple of years later, somebody tried to bring a lawsuit against me. Um, and went to one of the attorneys in the congregation that I had only known during the past two years since I joined that particular congregation and asked him to help with the legal things. And he said, why would I do that? I like Dave. And so that kind of ended that uh, with that particular person. Um, person also tried to do something with the local newspaper to call um, the church I was attending, the, the, the gay church in the community. And it wasn't, but uh, trying to put that kind of a spin on things. Um, so um, the person who was the head of the, the newspaper at that time is now the uh, uh, executive director of the Chamber of Commerce in the city. Wow. And so we've had a relationship for yeah. the last 25 years, basically, um, in working together. So... So you, As you, you've I, gone through some the fire there. <laughs> I've heard of local church politics, but this is intense. So you've stuck it out. And, and I've been actively involved not only with that position, but I was uh, the chairman of the board for the endowment of the church. Um, that grew as a result of this person who uh, died of AIDS. A number of people made contributions, including a contribution that came from him after he died, so that it started off very small and has now to grow, grown to over two and a half million dollars to provide support to the church for ministry. Wow. Um, so I felt like that kind of was full circle for me to come back around and be part of that uh, endowment group. And this past year, I was chair of the nominating committee and um, work on a number of other committees, as well as um, helping to coordinate things musically, because music is something that's very important to me. And so I have uh, two different music concerts that I coordinate for the church. 
That's great. Well, let's um, finish up with just, um, I'd love to get your, I feel like folks in the kinship community um, uh, really embody hope in a way that I think can inspire Adventists across the ideological spectrum. And I'd love for you to just kind of define why, um, why you continue to hope for a better future. I think the church has so much potential, and that's one of the reasons that I'm still there. Um, and, you know, I, I have hope for several reasons, one of them being that, you know, I didn't ever anticipate it, but my son ended up becoming a pastor, and now I have three grandkids. Um, and so they give me a lot of hope for the future of Adventism because I see that the way that they relate not only to me and my husband, but also to the church in general. I see the frustrations that they sometimes face that are very similar to the frustrations I face with the church, and yet the hope that they have to see um, the church really become all that it has the potential of becoming. Well, it's been an honor speaking with you today, Dave. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've enjoyed it. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The king.